I hope y'all are doing good. It's good to see you guys this morning. My name is Kyle. I'm the pastor here. So if you're visiting with us, I want to say thank you, uh, as Jasper did a moment ago, for being here, for worshiping with us today. Uh, I want to welcome back some SAU students today. Y'all give them a hand. Amen. Welcome back, guys. Trust you had a good break. It's good to have you back in the house. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we'll begin today. Um, I want to do something first before we get going. i got some exciting news to announce, and so uh, I want to do this right at the start of this. After many weeks of prayer and meetings and thinking through and, and all of that that goes into it, the elders and the deacons and the finance team have made the decision to offer our brother Jasper Jack a full-time position as the assistant pastor. So. Amen. Uh, so I want to say a quick word about that, and then I'm going to invite him up, and we're going to pray over him. We're going to have the deacons come up. We're just going to lay hands on him and pray for him here in a moment. So uh, just kind of a quick word on what this means. Uh, first of all, Jasper did accept the position. We had to convince him not to quit his job too quickly. So uh, anyway, he'll, his official start date will be uh, the 1st of February. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, as assistant pastor, uh, as with any position in a small church, uh, Jasper will wear many hats. Um, and so I just want to kind of explain some of these things to you so you know what to expect of this role from Jasper and from the church and kind of why we saw this as a need. I want to be upfront about these things. First of all, he will, as a pastor, be committed to you, uh, to serving you all alongside myself and the other lay elders as they come on board uh, in whatever ways are needed. <laughs> All right, so second, here's what that means. He will be the lead coordinator of our serve teams. Now, serve teams are the teams behind everything that takes place on Sunday mornings. They, uh, we, we have a team running. Uh, kid life is broken up into three teams. There's a kid life team for this room here. There's a little life team. There's a nursery team. There's one coordinator of those. That's Mandy McClellan. Uh, and so that just kind of gives you an insight into one of the teams. But we've got other teams, but we've got needs for more teams. So Jasper's role is going to be to kind of oversee, to coordinate, uh, to build an infrastructure within these teams to where good communication is taking place, the teams are running smoothly, leaders are being trained well, uh, new leaders are being found and trained, uh, new teams are being added as needed. Jasper will be uh, that guy. Uh, we'll have more on that during our surf team rally on the 28th. Uh, second, or third, sorry, can't count, uh, he'll help us develop a better infrastructure as a church organization. All right, so what that means is just communication, uh, the way we operate, the way things flow, the way we get um, needs to teams in a timely manner. Uh, say graphics for sermon series, graphics for things coming up, get those things to our creative team. All of that kind of stuff, Jasper is going to help organize that as well. So uh, he helps us address those needs more fully. Uh, fourth, uh, as infrastructure develops, I think there will be a growing need for the development of existing ministries, but also new ministries. And so Jasper will also be uh, a major help alongside myself and the, the rest of the elders as that time comes. Uh, then finally, I've, I've kind of joked with Jasper 
uh, about this pastor position being called the miscellaneous pastor, <laughs> because that's what really uh, these things end up getting made up of. There's a lot of day-to-day activities that will take place. There's a lot of things that just pop up. Uh, having Jasper in office even just a couple of days a week since this summer has been a great help uh, to me uh, to be able to focus on what I need to focus on, namely the preaching, teaching of the Word, and what that looks like. Uh, and then also, uh, it's been a great help to so many of you who have found Jasper much more useful than myself uh, as far as being organized and getting things like that done, not being scattered in so many different directions. Um, so he will help with that. But the one big one I want to mention is member care. Uh, when you hire a pastor, what you're hiring is somebody to help care for the flock. You're, you're asking someone to devote all of their life to caring for people, like every bit of it. So Jasper will have a salary, a full-time salary, uh, which means that there aren't kept hours. You get called at all times in the night. You get called when people are sick or when their marriages are going through uh, bad times. You get called uh, when people want you to attend a graduation. You get called for all sorts of things, and it is a joy, a joy to serve people. It is. I, I love, I, I mention this language a lot because I think it's a, I just think it's beautiful. But when Paul is talking about what the elders meant to the people at, uh, at the church at Thessalonica in Thessalonians, he says, we became as a mother nursing her children to you. And I just think about the delicate care that goes from a mother uh, to a nursing child and the way that the pastors cared for those people. And so that's uh, the heart behind what we do here, member care is first. So he will assist the staff elders, the lay elders, the deacons, the serve team leaders, uh, and all of you in caring for one another first and foremost. Um, I've mentioned that having him a couple of days a week has been a tremendous blessing, uh, and I just continue to be in awe of God's goodness on this church, uh, of God's grace to us, uh, of what God's doing uh, in all of our lives through this place. Now, as a part of that, I must say thank you to you because it is not without your generous giving, uh, and I, there's just no way around it, without your generosity uh, with your finances that any of these things can take place, all right? And so I just want to say thank you so much for being a faithful steward uh, with what God's given you, your time, your resources, certainly your, your treasure, all of those things. So thank you so much for that. I want to say thank you to the finance team, the deacons, uh, for all of their prayer, their help, their efforts, uh, their patience during all of this, and uh, first and foremost for their desire to steward well your resources uh, and the, the way that we spend those for this church. Amen? So y'all give all of those guys a hand and yourselves a hand. Thank you for that. Uh, now, let's pray for Jasper. Jasper, would you come up here? I'm going to ask Alan, the community minister, and uh, the deacons to come. Uh, the deacons that are here, I know we've got a few out today, so you'll just come. and The rest of you guys, if y'all are comfortable, you can just stretch forth a hand. Um, and, and we're going to pray that God would anoint this man of God whom he's called here. Uh, we do believe that this is a calling to come and to be a pastor with us. And so we're going to ask that God would anoint him for the task at hand. Amen. Father, we, we love you. And first of all, we come to you as uh, just needy children. 
uh, to a father, a heavenly father who knows all of our needs and meets them often beyond our expectation. And Father, this is just another example of your meeting a need beyond expectation. So Lord, I thank you for my dear brother, Jasper. I thank you for this calling that you've placed on his life to pastor your people, to care for your people, to steward well uh, your word and to teach and to lead and to train and to exhort and to do all the things that Paul talked to Timothy about. Uh, Father, we praise you uh, for this. We praise you for this opportunity that New Life Church has as a result of your grace and your goodness. God, it's not without your provision in our lives that uh, that we would have any of these things, that we would see any of these things come to fruition. And uh, So, Father, I praise you for that. I praise you for all the people uh, who had an effort in this, who have prayed, and uh, even people that I don't know, God, who are praying constantly for this place, that the needs be met. I, I thank you for them, Lord. I thank you for these faithful brothers and sisters that we get to do ministry alongside. So, Father, as Jasper prepares now to go into this work, would you anoint him? God, would you give him the boldness of the early apostles as they were leading the early church movement? God, would you anoint him with your spirit to preach, to teach boldly, to stand firm on your word, to not waver in its truth? God, would, we, would you give us the, the desire, Father, to walk alongside Jasper, to support him when ministry gets tough, when times are difficult, and when it's not all uh, rainbows, Father. God, we thank you that ministry is first and foremost about community, a community of believers reaching out to unbelievers, seeing unbelievers come into that community. And God, I thank you for Jasper's efforts in this. God, I pray now, again, once more, for this anointing for him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all give Jasper a hand, would you? <laughs> awesome, man. What a, what a fun time. What a, what a great time. Amen. Uh, if you guys have further questions about any of that. Um, I'm an open book. All of us are here. We, we got no secrets. Okay, There's nothing done under the table or anything like that. In fact, we're going to release a financial report. Hopefully this week that should be going out. It'll have details of, uh, of what that full-time salary looks like and all that. So I uh, don't want you to feel like I'm withholding that information from you. I'm certainly not. We'll release it this week. Uh, anyway, I, let's... Uh, Let's see what the Lord has for us today. Um, we started a series last week about spiritual habits. And this stems from uh, a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, where Paul instructs Timothy to train yourselves for godliness. Train yourselves for godliness. Uh, spiritual habits are the means of grace, as we said last week. They're the way they're they're the place of training for us so uh, we talked about as paul does there about physical training for the body that uh, there are certain things you do when you are physically training for something uh, the same is true for spiritual training when i'm spiritually training i want to be stronger spiritually there are 
things that are good and right for us to partake of, to, to be involved in. And so um, one of the things we said was that training for godliness cannot be about godliness only. All right, so here's what I mean by that. If you're training for godliness just to become more godly, what results is not normally, not typically, godliness, but legalism. You, you end up becoming very legalistic when godliness is the, the goal. All right, so I think the goal must be different. I think the goal must be life-giving. It must be edifying. It must spur us to something more, which to me, and I think God's Word lays this out for us, that in order to train for godliness well, we must first be running to God. <laughs> and so when we're running to God, we have this well inside of us filled up, per se. We're, we're overflowing with joy. So spiritual habits are about placing ourselves in the pathways of God's regular, uh, of the places where He regularly disperses His grace. All right, so those pathways are, one, God's Word, two, prayer, and three, the community of the saints. Now, this is not a new concept. This is not Kyle coming up with some brand new idea, and here, let's go try this in 2018 and see how it works out. This is an age-old method, as all truth is age-old. This is an age-old thing. This, these three things were the first or uh, the things that the first Christians were devoting themselves to, as we read in Acts 2.42, as widespread revival is breaking out after Jesus is crucified and raised from the dead, we see these three things resulted from that, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that is to God's Word, namely the Old Testament, but also what God was now teaching, that they devoted themselves to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. So they devoted themselves to God's Word, to prayer, and to the community of the saints, to, to being with one another. So as believers, God's Word, prayer, community of the saints, they are essential to our lives. Now last week we looked at prayer, and then we talked a little bit about fasting. And the reason I did that is because we were going into our time of prayer and fasting. I, I hope that's been fruitful for you uh, this week. So... Today, I really want to address the one that I wanted to address first, because I think it's first, and I didn't mention it a little last week, but let's really dive into it a little further today. Let's talk about God's Word, namely the transforming power of God's Word. Why is God's Word essential to the life of a believer? Uh, in, before we get there, let me, let me address some things uh, that I think we need to be aware of. In his article, The Scandal of Biblical Illiteracy, and you may remember if you were a part of our, uh, uh, our Wednesday night Bible study during the summer, you may remember some of these things, so I'm going to re repeat them a little. Uh, but there was an article written by a man named Albert Muller. He's the president of um, Southwestern yes, Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, and he wrote this. He was talking about the scandal of biblical illiteracy. He said, while America's Evangelical Christians are rightly concerned about the secular worldview's rejection of biblical Christianity, meaning we, we're, we're concerned with why the world would reject Christianity, why the world's rejecting Christ. Muller says this, he says, We ought to give some urgent attention to a problem much closer to home, biblical illiteracy in the church. 
He said, this scandalous problem is our own, and it's up to us to fix it. He goes on to cite researchers from uh, the researchers George Gallup and Jim Costelli. They put the problem squarely when they said this. They said, Americans revere the Bible. Certainly we do. But by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. I think this is a strong indictment, but I don't think it's a wrong indictment. I think this, we see this in the church. So just how bad is it? He goes on to cite these things from their polls. Less than 50% of all adults can name the four Gospels. 60% of adults can't name at least five of the Ten Commandments. According to 82% of Americans, God, the saying, God helps those who help themselves, is a Bible verse. So 82% of Americans think that God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. Now, it's understandable. We're talking about Americans. We're talking about secular Americans. But the problem is, born-again Christians or professing born-again Christians, 81% of those also thought that was a Bible verse. So only 1% better. At least 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. 50% of high school graduates thought Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. A significant number of adults thought that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. (laughs) As Muller points out, the scandal isn't that secular Americans don't know much about the Bible, it's that Christian Americans know less and less about the Bible. And this is a problem. It's our problem. It's Uh, recovery starts with you and it starts with me. It starts with us getting into our word and and not being so concerned with trying to educate an unbelieving world as much as we're concerned with trying to grow ourselves in the knowledge of God and um, the growing in godliness. And so the problem as I see it is we don't value the Holy Scriptures as a treasure. And so I'll get into that in a moment, but here's what I want to say. For most of my life, I treated the Bible like a non-essential thing. And maybe you can can understand that. Let me me use this example of the human body. Consider the human body. Most of your body parts, uh, or most of your body is made up of parts or things that are non-essential to life. All right, so your legs, your fingers, your toes, your hair, uh, your whatever. All right, there's lots of things on your body or part of your body that are non-essential to life. Without any of those things, your life experience changes, certainly, but you still have life. You're still breathing. But oxygen, oxygen, that's that one thing that you can't take away. If we lose oxygen, we die. Now, when it comes to the Bible and the Christian life, I believe that what God wants us to see is that the Bible is essential to the Christian life as oxygen is to the human body. Nothing can substitute it. In fact, Jesus was so sure of this that he said, as he's being tempted in the wilderness by Satan himself, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus confirms what I'm saying here, and and you can just write this down in your notes somewhere. God's Word is essential to the Christian life. I think it's worth writing down, even if we're just writing it as a confession. (laughs) Like I, I confess that this is true. God's Word is essential to the Christian life. 
So for our text today, it's not surprising then that Paul, when, when trying to encourage a young Timothy, a young pastor, he says to him to continue in what he has learned, to know the Scriptures. And, and he's doing this immediately after this discourse about the state of human corruption and deceitfulness. And, and so let me, let me read this to you, this corruption and deceitfulness, and see if it, it sounds familiar. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless. So even before Kanye was singing about it, it was right here in the Bible. Unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So, it's a pretty colorful picture of the world that was before Timothy in that day. And I would say it's a pretty colorful and spot-on picture of the world that we see today still, right? That men are still corrupt. Men and women are still uh, following the ways of their own desires. We're full of corruption and deceitfulness, and all these sorts of things are around us. So, what's the plan of action then for a believer? How do we, how do we live well in a life like this, or in a world full of these things? How, how do we live right? Well, the encouragement to young Timothy, and I think the encouragement for all believers, I think that's why it's here in God's Word, comes in these next several verses, verses 10 through 17. He says, You, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, talking about the Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for Every good work. So, Paul says to follow my example, but he he then goes into this deal about his example stems from 
what we've learned from the Scriptures. It says, continue in what you've learned. Know that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for uh, reproof and correction and teaching and training in godliness. So, I think in this passage, there's, there's three implications or three instructions for the Christian life and God's Word. Three things that I want you to know today. So again, with your notes, here's number one. I think we should treasure Scripture as God's breathed Word. I think the first thing about a Christian and his life or your life and God's Word is that you should treasure it as His breathed out Word. Paul says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Do you, do you know that scholars believe Paul coined the, a word to describe the supremacy of Scripture? The, the word is theopneustos. <laughs> theopneustos. Now this word isn't used in any other Greek text, biblical or other, prior to this writing in 2 Timothy 3. This term is used to stress the divine origin of God's Word, all, uh, of all of Scripture, that it comes from God, that it's breathed by Him. It's not the authors that are inspired, although they were inspired by God. It's not, it's not so much them that's inspired, it's that the writings are inspired, because the writings come from God's mouth. They're breathed out by God. All of Scripture is breathed by God. So they are God's own breathed words to humanity. This is what we have when we look at this daunting thing called the Bible. We have God's breathed word. It's because they are God's breathed word that they have the power to do at least two things. Number one is to create new life. I'll get into that in a moment. The second thing is they bring about training in righteousness which I'll get into in a moment also. When I think about God breathed, one of the first things that came to my mind as I was reading this, my mind immediately went back to Genesis and the the story of creation is God creates man. It says there that God formed man from the dust of the ground and that when He had formed him, He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. That by God's breath, man breathed came to life. And I I begin to think about what that meant here, that God's Word, these Scriptures, continue to breathe into us spiritually the breath of life. Though we have physical life, spiritually as we read God's Word, we are re-encountering God's breath and He's breathing into us brand new life. So as I alluded to earlier, I think the biggest issue when it comes to the Christian life and God's Word is that we don't treasure it. We just don't think it's valuable. We, like me, for most of my life, see it as a non-essential thing. Like, it's just there. Go on Sunday, I can hear Kyle talk about God's Word, I get the Word, or I can get the verse of the day on my phone, which is not wrong. And I can look at that, or I can see on Facebook or Twitter, you know, people are sharing verses. I'm reading those in passing, and those are all good things. I just think it's not the best way to encounter God's breathed word. I don't think it's what God intended as the essential way to encounter His word. When you begin to see God's word as His own breathed out word for you, that this word was written to train you for all righteousness. 
I don't know what it does for you, but for me, it changes the way I come to God's Word. It changes the way I think about God's Word. I don't see it as a chore anymore. I see it as communion with a really strong, close friend. Somebody who knows me better than I know myself. Somebody who's training me, rebuking me where I need rebuke, reproving me where I need reproof, correcting me where I need to be corrected, teaching me what's right and what's wrong. I see it as a great source. I see that His Word creates life in me. And so when I come to His Word, I'm coming to find more life. I'm not not coming just to come or just to say I did it today or just to check the box on my reading plan. I'm coming to encounter life. The second thing that Paul has here, the instructions for the Christian life in God's Word, is to continue in the Word which gave you new life. So this assumes at least one thing, that you have new life, which I'll get into in a moment. But first, let's talk about what it means to continue in it. Matthew Henry says about this verse, about this wording from Paul, he says, Note, it it is not enough to learn about that which is good, but we must also continue in it and persevere in it until the end. (laughs) It's not just enough to say, God's Word is good. And I believe God's Word, I trust God's Word, I love God's Word. It's not, we, we all say that as Christians. But what about our life shows that we're interested in continuing in God's Word? What about our life shows that we want to maintain relationship with God through His Word, that we would endure in it to the, into the end of all things? I think that's what Paul's after when he tells Timothy, to continue in God's Word. Jesus says in John chapter 8, if you abide in my Word, you are truly my disciples. What a strong indictment. Jesus is saying this to the Jewish people, Jewish believers who, who, who would have all counted themselves as righteous because of their nationality. Jesus is saying, if you are truly my disciples, you'll continue in my word. You'll abide in my word. I read that and I'm like, yikes. So the mark then of a truly Christian life is that we are continuing in the word which brought that new life. So lots of people will go about saying, I'm saved, I've got new life, I trust the Lord but nothing about their life shows that they're continuing or abiding in God's Word. Jesus says, if you do not abide in God's Word, you are not truly my disciple. So this is a, a gut check for a lot of us. This is, a, this is one of those moments where you encounter God's Word and it's teaching, it's reproving, it's rebuking, and it's correcting you. These are the words that are tough sometimes. In verse 15, Paul says that it was God's Word that made Timothy alive in Christ. Now, I'll read it again for you. I love what he says in verse 15. He says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. And it's God's Word that makes us wise for salvation. In other words, it's God's Word that saves us. It's God who brings life. It's this God-breathed Word which breathes into us a breath 
of life. God's Word has the power to bring its hearers and readers to life. This is in direct contrast to the false teachers which Paul is addressing in verses 1-9, through which led to all sorts of ungodliness. This is in direct contrast to that. Paul's saying it's God's Word which brings life. So as you continue in the Word which brought you new life, you'll grow in your desire to read the Word, to hear the Word, to be around the Word, because as you do read and hear and put yourself in the place of receiving God's Word, what happens is your joy grows. Your love for God deepens. Your knowledge of Him thickens. It widens. You come to see, as Paul said, his hope for all believers that they would come to know the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of God's love for you. As you place yourself in the pathway of God's Word, what happens is you come to know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth and all of those things of God's Word for you. This is what happens when you find yourself in God's Word, when you place yourself in God's Word, you grow in these things. So I think it goes without saying that we must discipline ourselves in the practice of continuing in the Word, which gave us new life. Like, this is an instruction from Paul to young Timothy, and he's telling him, after he tells him that, he says to go and to teach these things to all. So this is certainly for us. This is not just for Timothy. Now, Friends, listen to me. You will not continue in God's Word until your life is transformed by God's Word. You're just not going to have a desire. The Bible says that the natural mind cannot comprehend the things of God. And so we don't naturally have a desire for God and His Word. We need something inside of us to happen. I reference it a lot, but it's just so stinking true that Ephesians 2 says that you were spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins apart from Christ. And then it's by grace you're saved. So God breathes out His Word right here. You hear it. Paul says in Romans that people hear the Word through preaching, they hear it through reading, they hear it through the teaching, that they're encountering God's Word and that it's that Word which brings life. So, for example, here's what God's Word says about us. In Romans 3 we see that we've all fallen short of God's glory. As people who have fallen short of God's glory, we are destined to be separated from God for eternity. But in John chapter 3, verse 16, we see that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. So there was a problem where man was separated from God because we fell short of His glory, meaning that we're full of sin, And so God sends His Son Jesus to die for us. As Romans 5 confirms, it says that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. It doesn't say when you came to church and you got your act together and you quit acting like a complete imbecile, but while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. So we've all fallen short of God's glory. God sends His Son who dies for us while we're still sinners. And Romans 10, the great promise there is is that whosoever confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord will be saved. You see, I don't know any of this without reading God's Word. I don't know life without knowing God's Word. 
I don't have life come into me. I don't know about my sin problem. I don't know about the issues of why I need a Savior without going first to God's Word. It's what the law is for. It's what the whole Old Testament is for. We don't even have time to get into that beauty. This is what is always leading us to the need for Jesus, to the need for a Savior. And so Christ comes and He saves. And so I say to you today, if you have not confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord, what are you waiting for? Why do you think you're good enough? Why do you think you're so much better than the rest of us that you can make it without Jesus? Because none of us can. Won't you trust Him? Won't you come to the One who says, My burden is light? My yoke is easy to bear. Don't you lay your burden down like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress. So, I implore you today, if you're an unbeliever in here, please, please confess your need for a Savior this morning. Right now, where you're sitting, Jesus, I need you. You don't have to wait on me. Jesus, I need you. The third thing, about the Christian life and our Bibles, His Word, is that we should consider it the source, the sole source for knowing God and growing in godliness. This kind of goes in line with treasuring God's Word, but I want to spin it a little differently here. He says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So it's by God's breathed Word, these very Scriptures that we have in front of us, by which we are taught what is right, by which we learn also what is wrong in us. It is by these Scriptures that we find correction for those wrong things that are in us, and then that correction leads to salvation, which leads to our training in godliness. So it's only by God's Word, then, that the believer comes to know God and to grow in godliness, right? I mean, we're not finding it anywhere else. It's not just happening. We don't learn about God any other way than through His Word. This is what He's chosen to reveal Himself through. God's Word equips the believer for every good work, meaning that God's Word is sufficient, sufficient for showing every believer what God is calling you to do. Now, the Holy Spirit may lead all of us in different directions on how that plays out, but you can bet it will be according to God's Word. And if it's not, it ain't the Holy Spirit leading you to do a thing. But we don't know that if we're not reading God's Word. How do we know what direction to go if we don't even know the directions? We've got to come to it. It's, it's here for us. It's easily, it is more readily accessible now than it's ever been in history. And we read it less now than we've ever read it in history. I think we're too comfortable. I don't think we care much about godliness, to be honest. I think we like to say we do because we should say that. But man, if you look at our lives, we're like, Godliness just doesn't matter much to us. We want to do the right thing, sure. But growing in Christ's likeness, that happens right here. 
And if we're not reading God's Word, we can't rightly say, man, I want to grow in Christ's likeness. That makes us a liar. We're double-tongued. Why would we believe that? God has been wrecking my world when it comes to these truths lately. So if God's Word's equipping us for every good work, if we think it's sufficient, it's calling us to, that it's showing us what God's calling us to do, then what are we waiting for? We're waiting for another new translation? Are we waiting for a better preacher? You're stuck with me, folks. Are, are we waiting? Lord willing. <laughs> I keep preaching like this. You may not be, all right? Just joking. Are we, are we waiting on something to become more convenient? Are we waiting on more time in a day? You know, one of the greatest lessons I've learned recently, it started with learning it in finances. I learned that I was a really poor steward of finances. You know what I always thought? I always thought, man, I need to make more money. I really did. I always thought if I could just get a raise and make more money, then I could do better. Then my life would be better. Be able to pay my bills, be able to pay, yada, yada, yada. Well, I, the Lord, I guess, seeking to teach me a lesson, provided me with opportunities throughout my life to make more money. Do you know what would happen every time I would make more money? I would wish for more money. I always thought, man, this isn't enough. This isn't enough. I need more money. I need more money. You know what I finally learned as I was preaching through Philippians a few years ago? We got to the place about Paul being that, that Christ's power was sufficient in him for all things, and we learned about contentment there. You know what I learned about my life on that day on, on studying for that sermon that week? I learned that I was not content in my finances. In fact, I wasn't content in very much at all. God's word rebuked, reproved, rebuked. <laughs> corrected and trained me all in one moment right then as I was reading that. So, now when I look at finances, I start thinking, I don't need to make more money, I just need to steward better what God's given me. It's got very little to do with making more money. Who cares about more money? That stuff burns up, as Jasper said earlier. I really don't care about making more money. Not interested in it. But what I want to do is I want to steward well what God's given me. Do you know that money is not your only resource that God's given you? Do you know that time is a resource God's given you? So when we say, I don't have time to read the Bible, what we're saying is, I suck at stewarding the time God's given me. Just not good at it. When we make excuses like that, we're saying that it's just not important to me. Because I make time for every LSU football game. Praise the Lord. Go Tigers. I, I make time for my kids. I make time for my wife. I make time for everything that I've got. I make time for this job. I make time for all of you as much as I'm able. 
The things I value, I make time for very quickly. I think God's Word just needs to be higher on our value list. I think our problem is a treasure problem. It's not a time problem. We just don't treasure God's Word like we treasure other things. Donald Whitney, in his book, The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, he says this, he says, It's in the Bible that God tells us about Himself, and especially about Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God. The Bible unfolds the law of God to us and shows how we've all broken it. There we learn how how Christ died as a sinless, willing substitute for breakers of God's law and how we must repent and believe in Him to be right with God. In the Bible, we learn the ways and will of the Lord. We find in Scripture how to live in a way that is pleasing to God as well as the best and most as well as what's best and most fulfilling for ourselves none of this eternal none of this eternally essential information can be found anywhere else except the bible therefore if we would know god and and be godly we must know the word of god intimately we must know it intimately it's god's word so let's think through this for a moment okay I think we need to ask ourselves a few questions. One, do we desire to know God and be godly? Now, I trust you're not just going to rush to an answer on that. Like, Think about your heart, your life. Do you desire to know God and to be godly? All right. If so, what then are you going to as a source to make that happen? What are you using as a source to know God and to grow in godliness? Is it nothing? And by nothing, I mean, do you, do you even have a plan? I mean, we make plans for everything else. I want to go on vacation later this year. I'm going to start saving now. If I want to get fit, I'm going to start working out now. If I'm going to We make plans for all things. If I want to grow in godliness, what's my plan for that? Well, first and foremost, it must be God's Word. We must encounter God's Word. I think the plan is quite simple. I think God makes it... He he makes it simple so that it's easily accessible by all people. You don't have to be a learned man. That's one of my favorite things I read this week in Acts was that (laughs) as these... Apostles are standing before before these rulers and they're being judged, before these Pharisees and such, they're being judged about preaching the word. They're in trouble for this, being prosecuted. Basically, they're on trial. It says there that those men could see that they were ordinary and common men, but that they had been with Jesus. Because ordinary and common men could not do or preach or say or talk the way these men were talking. I love that. Anyway, it's one of the things I've been thinking about this week. So, I think that we must treasure God's Word as His own breathed out Word. This is God's voice to us. I think we must continue in God's Word, which gives us new life over and over and over I think we must consider God's Word the sole source for knowing Him and growing in godliness. It has to be. 
encountering His Word. Now, there's a lot of ways you can do that. You can do it certainly through reading. You can do it through hearing, preaching, or audio Bibles. You can do it through singing good, wholesome worship songs about the Lord, singing God's Word. There's a few ways you can do this, but I would never want to see anybody, any Christian, replace hearing and reading God's Word with anything else. We must hear, we must read God's Word. So now that we all value God's Word as we value the breath in our lungs today, right? we're all on the same page, what are some practical tips for digging in? A couple of quick things and then I'll, I'll let you get out of here. I think first, I want to answer this question, how often should we read God's Word? Seems like an easy answer, right? John Blanchard in his book, How to Enjoy Your Bible, says this. He says, surely we only have to be realistic and honest with ourselves to know how regularly we need to turn to the Bible. How often do you face problems, temptation, and pressure? Every day. Then how often do we need instruction, guidance, and greater encouragement? Every day. To catch all these felt needs up into one greater issue, how often do we need to see God's face, hear His voice, feel His touch, and know His power? The answer to all of those questions is the same every day. So it's good and right for our souls and for the health of our Christian lives to encounter the Bible, God's breathed out Word daily. Daily. Now, three practical tips to help you. Um, Note this, there's no silver bullet. You don't magically become a mature believer. It's a steady diet of milk and it grows into a diet of meat. And by that I mean it's it's a steady diet of coming back to God's Word over and over and over and over and over again. Ask any believer in here who's been, who's been a believer for, for 30 years plus. Ask them. See what they say. How often do you think I should be reading God's Word? And just listen to their answer. So, number one, find a time. Talked about this a moment ago, but the average reader, average reading pace, can go through the Bible in about 72 hours. I'm not advocating you stay up for three days, though if you do, awesome. (laughs) But the average American watches that much TV in two weeks. I'm not saying you do. Your practice may be different. I hope it is. That's a lot of TV. So in no more than 15 minutes a day, you can read through the entire Bible in one year. 15 minutes a day, you can read through the entire Bible in one year. Anybody ever read through the entire Bible? You don't have to answer Anybody ever not read through the entire Bible? I encourage you to do that. When when all Scripture is breathed out by God, and Jesus says we live by every word, I suspect God's expecting us to come to know every one of His words, to be enthralled by them. I like what Piper said. It really hurt my feelings, but I enjoyed it. He said, one benefit of social media is that on the last day, it will be used to prove that we had plenty of time for prayer and Bible reading. (laughs) Just sit there and scroll, 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 right? I'm about done with it all, I think. 
We lack discipline and motivation. We don't lack time. We have plenty of time. Pick a time, make time, find a time. Back to point one, if you don't treasure God's Word, you're not going to treasure the time that it takes. Um, I say pick a time. I say pick the same time each day to read God's Word. I think the start of the day is best because I think it gives you all day to think about what you've read. It gives you all day to really ponder it, to meditate on it, and it also can be useful uh, for your warfare that day, spiritually. So I say equip yourselves often, and if I read before I go to bed, I don't really remember a lot of what I've read after I fall asleep. And I don't sin a lot while I'm asleep, but I do when I'm awake. I want, I want to be equipped then. Um, second, find a plan. Find a plan. The Bible looks overwhelming, okay? This isn't, I could have got a thicker Bible up here. That would have been more overwhelming. Um, the Bible looks overwhelming. It's a lot of pages. It's a lot of words. It's a lot of words and works that you may find difficult to understand. I'm saying read it and ask the Holy Spirit to grant you understanding, just like He does for believers before us, and He continues to do now, and He'll continue to do for all of eternity. Let's dive into it. Let's read it. Let's not be scared of it. But I think picking a plan helps. As the saying goes, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. <laughs> all right, so we're not setting out to read all of the Bible in 72 hours. We're saying I'm going to read a portion of the Bible for 15 minutes a day and then see where that gets us. Uh, your plan can either be to read through the whole Bible. Um, I think the best way to read a Bible is not to just open it up and hope that you find a good spot, I think it's to open your Bible to a specific book and start reading from chapter 1, verse 1 through the end of that book so that you get the context, you get to understand. If you have a good study Bible, you can read the introduction to that book. That'll give you more background and history on it. It's helpful. Um, so find a, find a good study Bible, good translation. I like the ESV, NLT is good, NIV. Lots of good translations. It doesn't have to be the King James Version, although I think that's beautiful. <laughs> um, it's just a little more difficult to read. Um, and I just say that if you can read a chapter at a time, you can read um, section header from section header, from section header to section header, seven, eight verses at a time. All right? Here's what I want you to do with it when you read it. Don't just close your Bible and walk away. When you read it, I think the last thing you need to do is to find at least one word, one phrase, one verse to meditate on. Now, meditation gets a bad rap today. It seems weird and quirky. Um, Christian meditation is not like secular meditation. Christian meditation doesn't imply emptying our minds, but rather filling them with biblical and theological substance. This is a quote from Mathis, David Mathis. He says, uh, that it's about filling our minds with uh, biblical and theological substance, truth outside of ourselves, and then chewing on that content until we begin to feel some of its magnitude in our hearts. So we read God's Word, we think about a verse, a phrase, a word, for a few moments. Just think about it. Thomas Watson wrote a metaphor that I found extremely helpful for me. I just encountered this a few weeks ago going through a, a study with some guys he said this, he says, the reason we come away so cold from reading the Word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. 
reason we come away so cold from reading the Word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. It takes what you've read and it becomes a fire for you. And you just sit and you think on it. Pray about it. But really just think deeply. As you think deeply about it, you'll begin to grow in your understanding of the Scriptures. You'll begin to grow in your knowledge of the Lord. You'll begin to grow in your understanding of how you take that thing and apply it to your life. My hope for all of us is that we would grow in our knowledge of God. That we would grow in our desire to become more godly. Amen. So next week, what I want to talk to you about is community of the saints. Getting together with believers just like we're doing now. How does that play its role in spiritual habits? Amen. I hope this has been helpful. Will you stand to your feet?